Welcome to Just a Spoonful, the podcast that is young and fully sick. Everyone you hear speaking on this podcast is a young person with chronic illness and or disability, including me, your host, Caitlin Plyley. Hello, I am very tired. Please bear with me as I try to struggle through this. (laughs) I'm very excited about this episode, though. Um... I ha- we have our first international guest for Just a Spoonful, which is very exciting. And she had a lot of interesting things to say. I kind of sat there and I, I messaged actually um, one of our other editors at the time. And I was like, I don't want to watch anymore. Yeah. And I just kind of feel like we shouldn't even write about it. That's her talking about a bit of a controversy that happened and led to her being uh, interviewed on CNN, CNN, and 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 I wish CNN and was still on. Come on, Chaser Boys, make that happen. Um, no, it was like the real CNN and MSNBC and other big news organizations in the U.S. Because my guest is from the U.S. Um, but before I tell you more about her, I'd like to talk to you about Patreon. That's right, Patreon. It keeps this website going. This website. This podcast. Do you see what I mean about being tired? Um, basically you, my patrons keep this thing going. Um, Patreon is kind of like an internet tip jar where you can, uh, pledge to donate like one, two, five, ten dollars, whatever you like, um, per episode I put out. And that's never more than one episode a month. I think if a long time listeners can vouch for me there. Um, and, Uh, you can get rewards, you can get things like a handmade zine that I will make just for you, that I will, I will write in acrostic poems of your name and draw pictures for you and things like that. Or if you donate, uh, if you want to pledge $20 or more per episode, you can choose a a word or phrase that I have to say, I have to secretly work into the next uh, interview I record. And at the moment, my only 20 plus uh, pat- patron is actually my boyfriend, Chris Woods, um, who has been delighting, frankly, in thinking of things for me to, s- to make me say. Um, <laughs> and uh, this, this episode, you'll hear me try to um, seamlessly work in a conversation because I'm not allowed to tell the person I'm talking to um, that I'm I'm being made to say this. Um, I had to seamlessly work in a conversation the phrase, my hero boyfriend, Chris Woods. Yeah, he has no shame, no shame at all. Uh, <laughs> so if you would like to um, also torture me, then you can go on Patreon and pledge more than $20 an episode. Or if you don't have that kind of money, you can just sling me a dollar, sling me $5. It's all welcome and it's all appreciated. And it goes to keeping this podcast going. Um, So you can go to uh, patreon.com forward slash JAS podcast. And I'll, I'll tell you more about it at the end of the show. Now I'd like to talk to you about this episode's guest, Jill Pantosi. Uh, we had a great time. I had a great time chatting to her. We talked about Batman v Superman, um, what comic book illustrators get wrong when they're illustrating wheelchair users 
and Game of Thrones and much, much more because Jill is a pop culture commentator and former editor-in-chief of The Mary Sue, which is a uh, pop culture slash geeky website that has a feminist bent and one of the best comment sections on the internet, I think. Uh, and uh, we were lucky enough to have Jill on the podcast because she is in Brisbane this weekend appearing at Contact 2016, which is the 55th Australian National Speculative Fiction Convention, and I did have to read that off a paper because that's a long name, so prefer to just call it NatCon. It's NatCon, and it's in Brisbane this year, and uh, I can tell you more about where Jill will be appearing after our chat at the end of the show. Um, because it's, um, it's going to be a pretty fun weekend. And if you don't feel like if you, if you're not totally full of chocolate, um, then maybe you'll want to go. Um, but let's get to it. Um, let's talk to Jill Pantosi. Um, and I'm going to go and lie down for a bit because I'm tired. I'm really tired guys. And I'm sorry if none of this made sense. Um, but (laughs) Um, but (laughs) Jill Pantosi made a lot of sense because she is excellent. So please enjoy this chat with Jill Pantosi. Oh, and, (laughs) um, please excuse the audio quality because, um, we were actually like, it was really super nice of Jill to actually record this podcast at all because she had literally just gotten off a 30 hour flight from the U S and her hotel hadn't like, didn't have a room ready yet. So we were sitting in the hotel lobby talking about, um, Game of Thrones while people were like wheeling their suitcases past and their reception phones were going. So yeah, please excuse the sound quality. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it was just, um, the only time we could get because she's a very busy and important woman. Um, so let's, let's get to it. Let's enjoy a nice chat with Jill Pantosi. Yes, it definitely did feel like a million. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is your first time to Australia? It is, yeah, yeah. I've um, I've wanted to come here like as long as I can remember. And uh, when I got the invite to, to be a guest at, at Contact 2016, I, I almost didn't believe it, you know. Um, and then I knew I couldn't pass up the opportunity. So I'm really, really excited to be here. Yeah, no, it's really cool that you're here. And, um, had you heard of Brisbane before this invitation? Yeah, yeah. I have a, a friend who actually lives in the city, so I definitely knew oh, of, of that's that. Great. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. Was it like an extra um, excuse to visit your friend? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. That's so great. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. And it was it's, it's a friend that I had made on the internet just from being a geek, and uh, he eventually came to New York a couple times, and we got to hang out in person then. And now it's good. I'm coming to his city. You know. That's really cool. And like friends that you make on the internet just from being a geek are the best friends they are I agree yes <laughs> it's one of my favorite things about the internet it's like finding your people it's yeah the best. <laughs> speaking of the internet and finding your people um I want to talk to you about we can't talk can't record a 
geeky podcast today without talking about Batman versus Superman. <laughs> uh, and I really want to talk about your hashtag that you started, Batman v. the Internet. Oh, yes. Sorry, Batman v. Internet. Yeah, Batman yeah. v. Internet, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then I was just so um, amused by all the different memes that were popping up with the movie. And uh, I just saw this new image that they released, and it wasn't too too far before the movie released, so I thought it was weird that they were putting out more images, you know. But I saw this one of you know Bruce Wayne at the back computer, and he just looked Ben Affleck's face was so intense, you know. Just and I said, I wonder dread. what he is looking at on his computer, you know. <laughs> and I'm sure it was actually you know some sort of crime stuff. But I said, you know what? There's so many weird things on the internet. I think I'm going to sort of juxtapose all the already, you know, meme things with mm. that face, you know. And uh, it hasn't taken off as well as I would have hoped, like many other memes, but I got a kick out of it, so. I, I've been looking at it this morning and really enjoying it. Um, there was one of, like, a, someone who just posted, like, a photo of a creepy little monkey doll with, like, <laughs> these creepy little white hands. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I don't know where is. that image started, but that's another one that's been going around lately, and it's actually two of that little monkey creature doing like these poses and it's sort of like another like reaction thing to something you know really weird and so that one was actually really great I like that one so yeah it's like creepy monkey thing and then and then uh Bruce Wayne just looking with grim dread at his computer screen (laughs) it's really great um have you seen Batman the internet? Mm. No. That <laughs> Not yet, um, but we actually have tickets to go tomorrow. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it was funny when I found out we were going to be here during the release. I thought, oh, I don't know if I want to bother going to see a movie when I'm on vacation, you know. But uh, I kind of can't wait to see it, even though I'm not sure I'm going to like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've was... already seen some bad reviews, so that, you know. I've seen people saying they loved it, though. Yeah, really? You know? Like, because uh, I've seen people tweeting, so everyone hates Batman vs. Superman, and other people tweeting, so everyone loves it. And oh. I'm just like, come on, internet. Like, I need, a, I need to know if I should see it. <laughs> yeah, I need to know yeah. if I should spend $12 or not. Like, <laughs> I've, I've heard that Ben Affleck, who I was really upset when he was cast originally because so I did not that. like that at all. Um, but I've heard man. that he is actually really good, but that the, the movie as a whole sort of doesn't wrap up well or, you know, something like that. But I don't know. I'm excited to see Wonder Woman. Yes. That's going to be pretty cool. Um, this is our first glimpse of Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and everything in the trailers of her so far, I like her Those stuff way better than theirs. So. Shocking no one, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Like, you've got Batfleck and Henry Cavill, who got. is so beautiful. But, yeah. But oh, Man of Steel was so bad. Yeah. And, you know, funny story. I met Henry Cavill. I was doing interviews at, like, WonderCon right after he had gotten uh, cast as Superman. Um, and so the movie was now, you know, nobody knew anything about it, but he was doing press for the movie Immortals. And so we were doing roundtables, and you could see everybody's face, like, just waiting for the first person to ask about Superman, and no one wanted to be rude because we were there for the other movie, you know? But, like, everyone was kind of just waiting for the first one so the rest of us could just jump in. And uh, finally we did, you know? And he, was, he seemed very, very nice. Like, I, I said... He definitely seemed like he had that kind of Clark Kent, yeah. you know, um, persona to him, and he was very gracious and everything. And um, he does yeah. seem like he, he has a calm grace. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, really. What I, I still, I still hold true that he he's a very good Superman. He just needs some better dialogue and story to go with it. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, my whole thing with Superman is I always loved Superman, um, but he isn't like the. 
since all these gritty reboots of superhero movies, like Superman was never meant to be like gritty. You never meant to like think about what it feels like to be Superman. He's this ubermensch that like flies yeah. in and saves the day and gives you hope. Like, yeah. So I just that's maybe why I didn't buy Man of Steel. It's yeah, like, I definitely oh, like Superman's a more hopeful torture. Superman. Yeah. yeah, I was recently listening to the old um, radio plays oh, wow. um, from like the. 50s where Superman hunts the KKK or like exposes the <laughs> yeah. KKK just brilliant and like Superman's all like um, it's okay Jimmy everything's gonna be fine yeah. just stick with me and I was like oh yay I would follow you into the, <laughs> into the brink you know? it's, it's funny because I think a lot of people feel like in in today's world that sort of optimism is too cheesy and that's why a lot of mm-hmm. men don't do it but that like on t- the TV side like something like the Flash or Supergirl TV show, they have that optimism, even if they touch on more serious things, and it still it works really well. So mm-hmm. I feel like I wish they had gone that direction with the movies, but, you know, they have creators with their own vision who want to, you know, tell their story, and that's, you know, of course fine, but yeah. who knows what we'll see in the next few years, you know? Um, I know you're a huge DC fan. What's going on with the Flash, Supergirl? Like, are they going to... Like, is it going to get Agents of Shield? Is it going to get better? Is it, and I mean, like, you know, like Supergirl I've watched a bit of, and it was, it was like, I really love the concept. And yeah. It's, it's like, I think the actor is great who plays Supergirl. Um, but there's always just like an element of like, this feels like a Saturday special. Like, right, is, yeah, is, yeah. Is it, it going to get better? I think so. I think they're still sort of finding their footing, you know. I think a lot of people, one, it's on a different network than most of the other superhero TV. Oh. So, um I think it was sort of CBS in the U.S. has its own sort of, I think it's more family-friendly on the whole, you know, their shows, and mm-hmm. skews older for some of their other things. Um, but I, I think also translating a female superhero for the, you know, this this year and, the, you know, everything that, that comes with that, it's, you know, difficult for people to find, you know, well, where, where do we want to go with her? She's supposed to be young, but not too young, and, you know... Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that said, I think what it's lacking is the real, not I, not just hero moments, but, like, comic book excitement, you know, where something from the comics gets translated and you're like, yeah, you know, and you get really hyped about yeah. it, you know. It's a quality yeah. show. It just doesn't have that, like, there's a few things that have happened with, with other DC characters that have been brought in, and I think that's always when they sort of get more exciting. Mm-hmm. But I think they started out, they wanted to make sure people came to love Supergirl first, you know? So yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's really interesting. I'm not sure where you are in the show, but um, Melissa Benoist has done some amazing things in just the last few episodes that we've gotten. I've and heard it's gotten yeah, good. so I, I'm very hopeful. And they unfortunately haven't officially said that it's renewed, but the CBS president, I think, said it was most likely going to be, you know? It's gotta be. Yeah. It's so popular. Yeah. Wasn't she like on Ellen or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think so. so. I'm sorry. I'm just like, come on. You got the Ellen like touch of gold. Like, <laughs> um, no, I, I, I really was so excited when I found out that there was going to be a Supergirl show. Yeah. And also that a lot of it is about the relationship she has with her sister and mm-hmm. her mother. Yeah, there's and, a lot of great like yeah. women together. Boss. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, what's her? Uh, 
What's her name? I really love Calista, uh, Calista Flockhart. Calista Flockhart. Yeah. Um, I always want to call her Kitty Walker because <laughs> I'm such a big brothers and sisters obsessive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, just I, I'm loving that. I love that character. Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's, great. It's interesting. As someone, like I, when I grew up, I actually was a fan of the Supergirl movie that oh. a lot of people panned and didn't think was very good. But growing up, that was like a huge thing for me because, yes, I watched the Superman Christopher Reeve movies, but Supergirl was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, there's a girl, you know, yeah, and yeah. it's like she has all these same powers too, and it was it was so exciting for me as a young girl to see that, and I became totally obsessed with her. So, I've I've gone on to meet actually the actress that played her in the movie Helen Slater, and she is so so nice, and now she has a role on the TV show, which is like a really cool thing. Oh, is she the mom? She's the uh, adoptive mom. Because I know the adoptive mom. Sorry, because I noticed that um, Dean Kane was playing her adoptive dad. Yeah. And I was like, the the adoptive mom has to be someone. Yeah. Because they wouldn't just have Dean Kane and then like unnamed actors. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was really excited to see Clark. Yeah. Clark is the dad. <laughs> I was. I like. Um, I watched it because of my hero boyfriend, Chris Woods, um, <laughs> who is uh, a, just a, a Batman tragic uh, and uh, also Superman. And uh, I like grabbed, I grabbed him, and I was like, "It's Dean Kane." Yeah. He was like, "That's nice," because he's a little <laughs> bit younger than me. So I was like, uh, "He doesn't remember Lois and Clark." Yeah, I yeah. Think the way I remember like staying up to watch Lois and Clark and just being so in love with Dean Kane, <laughs> and ah, oh, so good. All right, sorry, I could just think about Dean Kane all day, <laughs> but he aged well. He did, yeah. <laughs> but speaking of. Um, Batman and all things related. I did want to talk to you a bit about Barbara Gordon mm-hmm. uh, slash Oracle. Uh, and if you could just tell us a little bit about what Barbara Gordon means to you. Oh, man. Uh, you know, when I when I talked about Supergirl being such an influential thing for me as a young girl, um, I, didn't, I didn't start reading comics themselves until much later in life, so I didn't even know about the existence of Oracle for quite a while. Um, and I think actually it might have been the Birds of Prey TV show that was in the early 2000s yeah. that I finally saw. And I was like, oh, wait, this is Batgirl? You know, and I didn't even know what had happened, you know, at that point. Um, but coming into comics and, and seeing her as Oracle um, was such a huge thing because there was there's no one else like that in, in yeah. the comics, you know. I mean, Professor Xavier, you know, but, like, I never connected to him. And, I, you know, it helps that I'm a redhead. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's another little thing she and I share. Um, I Googled her and I honestly thought that the comic book artist had modeled her on you. <laughs> and I had to do a bit of Googling. Thank you. That's very I like, flattering. I was like, because she looks just like me. <laughs> um, uh, but so just for anyone who, like me, wasn't uh, familiar until someone brought it up recently, um, Barbara Gordon is the daughter of, Commissioner Gordon, Commissioner James Gordon, Gordon. yeah. Um, and she is, in the comics, she was in the 80s, I think, mm-hmm. shot by the Joker. Yeah, in The Killing Joke, yeah. which was, like, originally not supposed to be a continuity story, and then they decided they were going to after the fact. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so she gets paralyzed from the waist down, mm. and it wasn't really until after that. We don't see the repercussions of that in The Killing Joke. It wasn't until other creators came on later and said, okay, well, now this character is, you know, in a wheelchair. What do we want to do with her? She's such an important person in Batman continuity itself. And so they developed this Oracle um, character for her, which is she already was super smart. She had uh, photographic memory. And um, so she sort of used that as, as a technical side of superheroing and, uh, you know, started sending other heroes off to do to case, 
physical cases that she couldn't, you know, do. Um, and it was it was such an interesting thing to see her develop from the early days, and then you know see her even in the Birds of Prey going out and still you know fighting because she kept up you know all of her her things and she used I think you say escrima sticks the the two like you know weapons and so she could still totally fight and kick someone's ass you know that way which is really cool too um, but she served such an interesting place in the universe because you know she she was disabled and she still was the hero you yeah. know um, and that's that's what I love about her so much and um, it was really really unfortunate when DC decided to sort of work that back and say well we want the original Batgirl so we're just gonna fix her you know yeah which they is had, really they disappointing the, they had the relaunch a few years ago and they mm-hmm. retconned that she that she recovered from her spinal injury she recovered yeah and um, you know I mean there's you know tons of people out there who have been paralyzed who do you know come back um, but while that was still in her story, it was sort of like, well, now the DC universe has lost something really unique, you know? And yeah. um, it was just really, really unfortunate that they felt the power of those stories with her as a character was, was more important than her as Oracle, you know? Because mm. there has been other amazing Bat, Batgirls, you know, over the years. Yeah. Um, and I really love their stories, too. And so the fact that they don't get to be in the spotlight because they feel like... Barbara Gordon is the one true, you know, Batgirl, but mm, it's, it is a shame. You wrote a really interesting piece uh, on Mary Sue, which you are the former editor-in-chief of, um, about illustrating characters use, who use wheelchairs yeah. and how a lot of um, comic book illustrators will, like, they, it's like they'll get the brief and it's like, this character uses a wheelchair and so yeah. they'll, they'll put her in like a hospital a wheelchair. A hospital chair, yeah. Where like, you know, the kind that someone just pushes you around yep. and you don't actually use day to day. Yeah. Um, I didn't really like, I've only sort of, uh, with my condition, I use a wheelchair sometimes, but I don't have my own. Mm-hmm. So I usually am in one of those like very basic manual wheelchairs if I am in one. But like recently I had to um, fly interstate for a festival and I use the airport wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. Um, Freaking terrifying. <laughs> uh, like, I don't know what it is. With, I think I was flying Jetstar, and they don't have the kind of wheels that you can actually use yourself. Oh, just two, uh, four small ones? Just four yeah. small ones. That, and so uh, for the first time, I think, in my life, I had absolutely no control yeah. over where I was going and yeah. how fast. And, like, um, my wonderful, wonderful partner and a friend of ours, like, took turns pushing me around. But um, they didn't know things, and I didn't know things like my toes stick out further than the the, um, the wheels. The, the wheels. So they <laughs> accidentally ran me into a wall oh. one time, <laughs> and I was like, "My feet, my feet!" <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and it's just unfortunately one of those things that unless it like touches you directly in your right. life, you might not know about. Mm-hmm. But I mean, personally, I'm trying to change that. Um, do you think that there is a um, there is an obligation for comic book illustrators to even do like a cursory Google if they're going to yeah. user. Well, you know, I feel like they do that for a lot of more basic things, even if it's to draw hands or feet, you know, just to have photo reference. So I feel like, you know, it's part of the story. It's part of the character. It should be researched, at least, you know, cursory, you know, search. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting because you, you speak of what the character has and it might be any number of, you know, wheelchairs. Like when I'm at home, normally I have a motorized scooter. 
that I use, and that's easier for me because I can still walk some. Um, but like when we're traveling here, I have a manual chair that someone can push me in, or you know that I can push myself if need be. Um, and you know, there's so many different mobility aids that are out there that you know it's very specific to what works for that person. You know, and I think it's like many other things that are in the comics. It's it's worthwhile to you know look up and just say, okay, what would this person be using, you know? So that's why I wrote that. I forget what spurred it at the time. You know, I might have seen somebody with Oracle, actually, it probably was, that I saw someone drew her in a, in a very uncomfortable-looking hospital chair, you know? And all yeah. I could think was, oh, gosh, she would not be using that at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you're a badass like Oracle, you're going to have a... And your chair's going to have as much personality as you have. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. No, I, I thought that was, like, strange that they probably spent ages thinking about, like, what color would her dress be? Right. Or, like, that kind of thing. But, yeah. like, just, like, oh, all wheelchairs must be the same, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was going to ask you, actually, about Oracle just when they did um, retcon her to, so that she now is able-bodied. Um, do you think, because there was a while where, like, like we knew that she was going to be Batgirl again and she wasn't going to have a disability anymore. But we weren't we weren't sure how that was going to be achieved in the comics. Right. Do you think it would have been better for for them to retcon so that the Joker never shot her, mm. or to cure her, so to speak? Yeah. Um, gosh, you know, if they, and I and I don't feel that they have at this point. I haven't read in like a couple months, but um, I know that they didn't really heavily explore her disability after the fact, after the retcon. So I I almost feel like they should have just gone away with the killing joke completely um, but for so many people that story is a classic and they don't want DC to do away with it um, and I do know that the current creative team on Batgirl sort of made an attempt to do it but it, it's not 100% like clear in the comic and I think the creators say for them it is a retcon um, but if anybody chooses to read it the other way they can too you know um, so, I mean, it's, it's funny because people have said before, Alan Moore, the writer of The Killing Joke, had said he didn't even, like, mean for it to be this sort of, you know, huge thing. Um, and he doesn't even care for the story as much anymore. You know, he's a, a very interesting fellow himself. But, uh, you know, it's sort of like if the creator doesn't even see the value in it, you know, like... Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, like, talking about a cure in comics is obviously a lot easier than in the real world, you know? Um, in comics, of course, you can do anything. You can have a magical fix. You can have some crazy technology fix, you know? Um, and obviously, for so many people in the real world, that's not a reality. Um, and so that's why I feel like having her as Oracle was so important because, you know, there are those people who will be in a wheelchair for the rest of their lives. And... You know that doesn't make them any less a person, and it doesn't make her any less a hero. So um, I think that's one of the reasons why it was so important. Yeah, I really liked something you said um, in your piece about wheelchair users. You said people in wheelchairs are exactly <laughs> excuse me, my voice is breaking. <laughs> people in wheelchairs are exactly like you, except they're sitting. Yep. I was just like, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the ama- the amazing like change uh, in the way that people react to me when I'm because uh, because of my condition I don't necessarily look the same right, yeah, yeah. Um, unless I'm sitting in a, in a mobility aid right. um, and when I'm just sort of standing or walking or just sitting on the bus um, 
people respond to me one way, and mm-hmm. as soon as I'm in the chair, they talk to the person pushing me. Yep. And yeah. I'm just like, it's the most frustrating thing. It is. When they'll ask, like, the person pushing me where I want to go. Yeah. I'm just like, do, do you experience that as well? I do, yeah, for sure. And, and also, I, I also, like you said, like, it's not something that's visible immediately so people will look at me and then they'll look straight down at my legs like I guess to see if they're there you know like I don't know what do they um, look like and then of course because I can you know walk a bit they don't know what to think when I get up out of my chair yeah. you know and and people well oh does she really need it you know is she just lazy you know and yeah, it's, it's very it's very interesting even just for the plane travels that we took here you know and having to get an aisle chair on the plane to get to the seat because the seat was too far back, you know, on the, on the plane. And, uh, you know, it just, one flight, they were totally great. They said, what do you need? Tell us exactly this and that, you know. And then the other people sort of, you know, expected me to do uh, a transfer from the aisle chair directly to my seat, and that's not necessarily how my body works, you know. And so, like, it was... Oh, it's always a learning process, and I try not to get frustrated with people who maybe have never interacted with someone who has a disability, you know, and so I, I understand to a point how it might be kind of strange for them to try and, you know, they don't want to say the wrong thing either, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, so I try to just say exactly what's good for me, you know, and just go from there because you never know what kind of reaction you're going to get. But, yeah, mostly it's the it's the walking down the street and then having someone glance down at my legs, you know, and I make sure when that happens that I look them right in the eye, you know, <laughs> so that they know that that was a little weird to do, you know. I'm sure I've shamed many a person. Well, you know, just educating the world, one one shaming thing. <laughs> yeah. People, people need to, like, I don't know, they, I think they need to know these things. Yeah. And, like, yeah, it's. I think it's good to, like, kind of, in a way, in a very quiet way, stick up for yourself and yeah. just be like... Hey, there's a person in here, yeah. and she sees me. Yeah, I, I see you looking at my legs. Yeah, that's actually kind of a um, real pet peeve of mine is the representation of wheelchair users in uh, in any media, but like especially in sort of like superhero narratives and um, shows like Glee, um, where you've uh, I think like um, I read something yesterday that just, that talked about the difficulty is that the assumption is that there is a normal person trapped inside the disabled person mm. so like you know normal yeah. air quotes blah, 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 blah. Um, but like that you know uh, I've seen so many TV shows do this where they'll have a an able-bodied uh, a non-disabled actor play oh. a disabled character yeah. and there's always some kind of dream sequence or something where right. it's like they had um, on Pack to the Rafters I don't know if you've watched Pack to the Rafters no. oh you're missing out <laughs> um, like it's just it's just classic middle Australia beautiful blonde people going to the park and having barbecue um, but they had a character who had cere- cerebral palsy, and they had this dream sequence. And it was always such like it's always such a tragedy that he had cerebral palsy, right. like, and it meant that he couldn't have a girlfriend, and he resented his his like able-bodied brother and stuff, and everything about him was about CP. And then he had this dream sequence where the actor stopped pretending to have cerebral palsy and was just himself walking around hashtag normal right. uh, at, at a party and he was happy and he woke up and there were like tears in his eyes and oh, I was geez. like this is fucking bullshit <laughs> like this is bullshit you know yeah. like it, first of all it's like insulting to have like the actor suddenly like straighten up yeah. and like straighten out their limbs and be like see now I'm <laughs> right. oh god yeah. I just it's, so I, many, I, I feel like I couldn't even 
count on my hands the number of actual disabled people who have gotten roles mm. in TV and film. It's so few and far between. And it's like we RJ talk TV about, and then no one. Yeah, we talk about <laughs> representation and diversity in Hollywood, and like I feel like disability is often left out of that conversation, you know. And that's another thing. It's like, well, this is the world that we see. We see diverse people, all different races. Um, and I think a lot of people, maybe on on the whole, don't see disabled people out enough that they mm-hmm. that they think of them as you know perfectly normal members of society. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, they all exist somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, they, they touched upon um, disability on Arrow recently. I don't know if you watched that one, and they had one of the characters um, get shot, and uh, and she. You know, um, spoilers if anybody isn't caught up with Arrow, but she's in a wheelchair and she's learning to, you know, do this. But in a span of four episodes, they came up with a, a tech cure for her. And she literally, like, she was having an argument with her fiance and she literally stood up and walked out on him. And I was just like, this is so bad. Like, I was hoping that there was something else to it because I thought it was very interesting. And in so far as the little things in their Arrow layer that they have, they had steps up to a platform and they were like, oh, well, I guess we're going to have to get a ramp here. And so they got a ramp on the set, you know, and they did that whole thing. And I was like, wow, this is great. Like, they're really showing, you know, they're not getting into the nitty gritty of, of disabled life, but they're at least showing that, like, oh, yeah, there were steps there and she wouldn't have been able to get up otherwise, you know. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that they got rid of it so quickly, I was like, oh, guys, you know. It was like, oh, this is going to be great. They're sort of making her oracle, you know, and and then they just were like, yeah, no, actually, I think we're just going to have her be cured. And it's a little blip in her life, you know? Yeah, disability is just a little blip in your life. And, uh, yeah, it's it's like it shows up in so many different TV shows. My, my sort of big um, bugbear is the, the suspicious person in a wheelchair. Like, yeah. The sort of idea that um, either, like, that if you see a person in a wheelchair in a TV show, they're going to walk at some point. Right. Uh, and not in the kind of, like, they're a... Um, partial user of a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah, user. that they're faking to do something evil. Yeah, yeah, like that, like, um, in, um, I think I gave up on The Flash when I realized that, um, oh, yeah, yeah. uh, Dr. Wells was pretending yeah. to be disabled, and even though I love Tom Cavanagh yeah, to yeah. death, like, I will, Tom, you're my boy, but, like, I was just like, no, I'm out. Yeah. Uh, I'm out. Like, it was, it's funny, actually, I was at San Diego Comic-Con, was it two years ago now? And they were doing roundtables for The Flash, and a, a couple other reporters at the table had gotten um, the first episode, at least, to watch, and I hadn't gotten a chance to watch it yet. And so when he came to sit with us, one of my first questions, of course, from seeing just the trailers was, you know, how do you feel about portraying a disabled person? And he kind of stopped, and he was like, well, and he looked at me, and, you know, obviously there I am sitting in my scooter, and he was like, well, I don't, I don't want to ruin it but I just there's more to it than that he's like and I'm not dodging your question but I don't feel comfortable answering that specifically and I kind of was like just say it like I don't care if you spoil me like we're in press that that's going to happen you know and when he left I was like someone else tell me what and he's like somebody at the table was like oh yeah he he does he's not actually disabled and I was like oh (laughs) (laughs) thanks That would be a tough one for him. He's like, well, I guess I'm portraying someone pretending to be Yeah, you know, and like in a way he had to still, you know, act in that manner. But yeah, since it wasn't a thing that was actually, you know. Yeah, and there was that and there was um, the, um, 
Professor Xavier in the movies. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Like, s- suppressing his, um, I guess, talent? Yeah. His, his telepathy. His mutant ability, yeah. His mutant ability meant that he um, could walk. Yeah. Um, for some reason, which I thought was really interesting, the idea that he's only powerful when he's disabled. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's like this, um, like movie shock thing of like you've seen them in a wheelchair but now they're standing and I think it just means that like whenever you see whenever people who aren't familiar with people with disabilities see someone in a wheelchair they're kind of like waiting for something waiting. to happen <laughs> yeah. you know? like it's like either they're faking or yeah. and like it's really difficult when um, uh, I was using a wheelchair um, for like this festival that I was at and you know me and my partner go and get burgers at this place that was like and almost nothing was wheelchair accessible so there was like this one step which meant that I had to walk if I wanted to go in and use the bathroom Um, so I did and I like leaned on stuff and I went really slow but um, I could feel people watching me yeah yeah (laughs) and I I, the first time I ever did it I um I couldn't help myself I stood up and I went it's a miracle (laughs) (laughs) just to see if anyone would like bring us free drinks right (laughs) but um, yeah, it means that people have this kind of um, t- uh, tension yeah. around wheelchair users. Yeah. And um, every time I see it, like, oh, um, like in Jane the Virgin, there's like a character in a wheelchair. And if you haven't finished season one of Jane the Virgin, spoiler, but um, she stands up and like pushes a character down the stairs. Like, and like you see her standing at the top of the stairs, like it's an evil look on her face. And I was like, I was like yelling at my at my laptop screen. I was like, she could have just pushed her from the wheelchair. From the wheelchair, yeah. <laughs> Or just tripped her, yeah. Or just like rammed her, you know. Yeah. Like just like, it was kind of so pointless. That's ah, like, uh, oh, yeah. That's a thing. Like we just like there need to be more actual disabled actors in roles so that it's normalized and people yeah. get it, you know. And I think it's just it's such a hard, slow process with Hollywood, you know. Yeah, we're still getting like we're still trying to get like people of color. Yeah, roles, which you know? is disgusting in 2016. It's, it's just ridiculous. We're still trying to get movies made about women. Yeah. Like, it's so gross. And, like, uh, there's this, like, uh, concept that my, my partner, Chris Woods, actually came up with, the idea that you only get one. Right. So, like, he said, like, you only get one degree away from white straights is guy. Yeah. Um, so that's why you'll see, like, straight white guys in wheelchairs. Yeah. <laughs> you won't see anyone else. Yeah. Um, or you'll see, like... Um, a black guy or like a white woman you mm. get one yeah. you get like one thing <laughs> you know it's like oh we don't want to rock the boat yeah uh, <laughs> we don't want to get too far away from a, from a straight white guy um, uh, able-bodied white guy there's so many things you just keep adding them on um, I wanted to ask you about you, you are a goodwill ambassador for Muscular Dystrophy Association mm-hmm. in America um, and um, you have been since you were seven and I know you probably get this a lot, but I, I wonder, like, were you headhunted like, at primary school, or like, were you sending out your card, like, or handing it out at parties? Or it's <laughs> it's been an interesting life, I will say that. I I was diagnosed when I was two and a half, um, and my mom noticed a, a tremor in my hands and took me to the doctor, and that was the slow process to getting diagnosed. And um, I think they'd started a relationship with the Muscular Dystrophy Association around that time, just as far as the support system and talking to other families that went through the same thing. Um, and I, I think just because I was a cute little redhead girl with like curly <laughs> hair, you know, I had that Annie thing going for me. Um, you know, they just decided, hey, let's, let's make her, you know, the ambassador for New Jersey at the time. And uh, I did that for a year, and then they decided to sort of renew it, you know, for, for one more year. And it was really cool. I got to 
travel around the state and meet a bunch of people. I, I met mostly people that I didn't even know were like famous like sports stars and that, that sort of thing. Um, but it was a really interesting experience because I was also very shy back then. And a lot of the times, if they wanted me to say something, I'd just kind of look at my mom and be like, you do it, you know? <laughs> um, but it was, it was fun because I got to, at that point, start going on the telethon, which they did every year, and um, be on television, which was a huge, you know, really deal. Cool. And uh, I, uh, to this day, I don't think we have the, the tape of my very first appearance there where I sort of kicked off the show with the president of the network that it was on. But um, we have pictures and everything from that, that time in my life, and it was such a, it's such a surreal thing to experience because there's a lot of people who, who have disabilities who don't, either they don't have an organization or they aren't involved with it, you know, and for me, MDA was just a part of my life, you know, mm -hmm. and um, there were things that I didn't participate in, like they had a summer camp every year that kids went to. Um, what? Which would have been probably a really cool experience, but one, I didn't, I didn't want to be away from my family. I was very scared to do that. And then two, thinking about camp, I was like, well, I don't like bugs, so I don't want to be at a camp where bugs might be in my bed or something, you know, crawl on me on the night. Um, so I never went, and then it wasn't until, yeah, it wasn't until many years later that I went for the telethon um, to film some things at the camp and got to see some of the other kids who were younger um, there and it was just like oh my god why did I never go like they were having a ball like they you know swimming arts and crafts like the whole deal and they have a great support system there are volunteers who some are healthcare professionals you know to help with whatever needs are there and um, it's just they, they give the kids you know the chance to go to camp like any any other kid and uh, so it's it's one of my biggest regrets, I think, not not going there because it seemed like such a fun thing after the fact. But you know, I just loved your family. I did love my family. It's a, it's a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, was it just for kids with MD? Or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this that oh, camp wow. is specifically for that, and they actually have uh, the camp that I went to see. It was originally meant for blind people, right. and so a lot of the stuff was also sort of already there for wheelchairs and grab bars and whatever else was necessary. Um, so yeah, so it was a really interesting experience. And I think it's also, it was great for the kids there to meet other kids with muscular dystrophy because I only met them like at some of the events that I did as a Goodwill Ambassador and then at the telethon. And you know, that was before social media. So there wasn't any sort of, you know, uh, way to connect with them outside that if they didn't live near you. Um, yeah. There's only like a couple handful of people that like I would go see every once in a while, just as like friends, you know, and uh, get to have that experience. But it, yeah, it was a it was a very interesting. And then just you know, growing up in that atmosphere of doing things on TV every year and going to events, and I eventually obviously came out of my shell. And uh, you know, everyone would say, "Oh wow, you're such a good public speaker." And it's like, well, I've been doing this for like twenty some odd years, you know. Like I feel like I should be by now. That's right. Your bio uh, said something like, you know, that you telephones for 20 years. Yeah, they, and I was looking at these photos of you going, she can't, how old is she? She can't be more than 30. I was like, how is this possible? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was crazy. I um, The telephone I started when I was seven or eight, and uh, they, they've since sort of changed the format of the telephone and tried to do something that was more appropriate to the modern, you know, time, so it eventually got phased out, but um, they were 
such a, a thing for a lot of people who weren't disabled because it would happen on, on Labor Day weekend in the US. Mm -hmm. And Jerry Lewis was the one who hosted the national show of it. And a lot of people just knew him from you know his, his acting career, his comedy career. And so people watched that because he'd have his friends come on and do performances. And it was always like a, you know, a variety show, basically, where they every once in a while would plead to have people send in money, you know? Um, so it was, it was definitely a strange, strange way to, to grow up. But I, I liked it, and it led to me coming into the career that I am. So I Yeah, know. you were destined for yeah. <laughs> so cool. I, often, I, I was wondering if you had all these contacts from, like, your, you know, sort of junior high years, and now you sit <laughs> and you're like, hey, Jerry, what's up? Okay. <laughs> it's funny. I, I never met Jerry because I never went on the national show. I was on the local one in New York. Um, but I met Sammy Davis Jr. when I was what? very young, and uh, just Tony Orlando, who was a, a singer who was really big in the 70s. Um, wow. And he's he's still a good friend. He's an awesome guy. Um, That's really cool. Yeah, and Red a lot of the local news people. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, here are all the people that I loved when I was exactly. young. Exactly. You've met them, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of the, th the problem that, that MDA had as it went on is that they needed to skew younger to get mm. people who were younger to, to donate money. And it was really a struggle to try and get people that would draw that crowd when, you know, obviously they could watch these people on the internet anytime they want, you know? Yeah. So yeah. without that sort of like, this is really special, you need to watch this weekend and that's it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it wasn't the same draw it was in the past, which is, you know, unfortunate, but that's, that's the times we live in. Yeah, we don't really have appointment television anymore. Do yeah. We? Um, I'm always like, yeah, I'll watch it later online. Mm -hmm. um, I was wondering, like, in what other ways did you engage with the Muscular Dystrophy Association? Like, did they provide um, sort of resources for your family? Was there like a funding aspect to it? Is it is it purely like advocacy? What what what, what, they, what was their presence in your life? They do pretty much everything. Um, I didn't need to take advantage of certain things as much as other kids growing up because my condition was was you know less severe than some others. But they are there for like support groups. They're there for, they have MDA clinics, so you can go to the doctor and they pay for you to get, you know, um, all sorts of, you know, things done. I, you know, had to go to a doctor to get a back brace at one point because I have scoliosis also. And um, they, besides that, they also are constantly having a research portion, and that's where a lot of the money goes to help try and find a cure for all these different neuromuscular diseases. Um, but the MDA people, the people that worked there, were friends to my family growing up, you know, and we have people, there are some people who would just cycle through and be there a few years and move on to something else, but there's people who were there for 20 years too, who, you know, I grew up knowing and I still, I have them on Facebook, you know, and it's, it's a really nice thing that when my parents, you know, found out that I had it, they had people to talk to, whether it was them connecting us with other families or just talking to MTA itself. Um, and then growing up for me, you know, it was um, helping to get funds for a wheelchair when I eventually needed that. When I went into high school is when I first got a scooter. And, um, you know, so they really are there for pretty much everything you need. And I think that's a valuable resource for a lot of people who don't, like we said, don't know anyone who's disabled. So when it actually affects them, it's like, oh, gosh, what do I do? You know, it's sort of overwhelming. Um, to deal with, so MDA is, is a great thing to have there for literally anything you need. That's amazing. Yeah. 
I don't know. I don't know what we have in Australia for ND. I know that there are a couple of advocacy bodies for ME, which is what I have. Um, but it's there's like almost zero funding in the research uh, into ME in Australia or anywhere. Wow. Um, and yeah, there's like um, it, like oh, I was part of a support group once, but it was run by someone with ME CFS. So like. But we all got too tired to keep it going. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> so like we would try and have like phone calls. Yeah. Because like, yeah. none of us could get out of bed. Um, but then, then we were too tired to make phone calls. Um, it's, it's like hardly anyone who doesn't have ME cares. Right. So it's really hard because you've got like, like I'm, I'm running this podcast. And I'm so tired. Jill, I'm so tired. <laughs> like, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's like I have to constantly sort of advocate for myself. Yeah. Um, and I'm not complaining because it's, it's like I'm happy to, but. It's um, it's hard. Like I just, I just imagine like a summer camp just for kids with ME. Yeah, yeah. And it would. I actually dream about this a lot of just having a community that's just people with chronic illnesses, and we can all just lie around and not speak. Right. Yeah. And just like, it would like just this be, is like, great. It would uh. basically be a spa, like you know, a spa, spa weekend all the time. Yeah. Um, that would be fantastic. Um, that's that's interesting because like, even muscular dystrophy, even though it has this organization behind it. A lot of people still don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, a lot of people get it confused with multiple sclerosis, sclerosis because MS, MD, MSD, you know, yeah, and uh, yeah. you know. So I always have people saying that. Oh, I know someone on my someone on my mom's side has MS. So I'm like, well, that's that's, that's good. Nice. That's not what I have. But thank you, you know. Like they're trying to relate, you know. Um, yeah. But it's it's the thing that that I think has been really um, interesting as I grew up is when I was very young when I was in grade school all the kids in the class knew that I had something but no one blinked an eye you know and that may be the age thing no one cared you know if you were different or whatever and when I moved when I was um, 10 I went into a class that had been told before I got there that someone was going to be coming in you know that was different and it was so I, I couldn't believe it. Like, yeah. I now when I think back and I'm like, what was the school thinking, you know? Like, that is such a horrible thing it's to... Thing like, to I do. get they yeah. wanted to prepare so that the kids weren't like, oh, my God, what's that, you know? But, like, at the same time, it was like, but that makes it... That makes the person singled out even more, you know? Totally. And it's um, like, you're not dying. Yeah. You know? And it was, it was so strange, that, and then finally making a friend who, like, didn't care, you know? And it was just like, oh, okay, you know? And along the way, all the friends I had growing up through high school and college, you know, and sort of um, having that get-to-know-you period where it was like, okay, we're going to go out, you know. And it was like, okay, well, is the place accessible? And they're like, oh, uh, I don't know, you know. And I was like, okay, can we call and make sure before we go? Or, you know, uh, if we're going to take your car, can you fit my wheelchair in your trunk, you know, and all these little things. And, you know, I have friends every once in a while that are like, I'm, I'm so glad I, I know you, not just because of who you are, but because it's opened my eyes to a lot of these things like even you'll call someplace in New York let's say and you'll say is, is it accessible and they say oh yes you say okay um, go out of your front store you <laughs> yeah. know and do you have to step down anything and sometimes they're like oh yeah we have this like two inch lip here you know and it's like well that that counts you know it's like <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's really it's interesting you know and I'm, I'm glad that I could sort of open people's eyes that way and then maybe they can spread the, the knowledge outside of their spheres too, you know? Yeah, it would just be wonderful if everything was accessible. Yeah. Honestly. 
there's like a big problem with housing for disabled people in Australia. I don't know if it's the same in the US. Yeah. Uh, for instance, like here in Brisbane, there's a type of house called the Queenslander, which is on stilts. So because, you know, Brisbane yeah. floods a lot. Okay. Um, a lot of our houses are on stilts. Uh, mine is. And that means that if I need to get out of the house, I have to go down about seven steps. Right. That's not possible for me on most days. Luckily, I had a good day today, so this is good. Um, but it like you know, the laundry is under the house mm. so it's like hard for me to do laundry um so i actually have a lot of clothes so i can go like two or three weeks without doing laundry <laughs> if i need to i know that's that when start wearing, that's when you start wearing like really weird outfits yeah. and people are like oh i like what you're trying in there and it's like oh it's the third week of the laundry <laughs> that's why i'm wearing this beret and this like you know jean shorts and right stuff. um but uh you know i've looked into trying to find um places that are accessible that have elevators mm-hmm. oh, oh my god elevators best thing and um can't afford it because that's all really expensive right housing. So yeah yeah it's like um, if you find an apartment that you can afford on a pension here it's like up several flights of stairs yeah so it's yeah really difficult in in new york it's so it's interesting and when i was living with my parents still I would go up, I actually had my room on the second floor of our house, so I would go up a flight of stairs at least once a day, if not more. And then when I moved in with my boyfriend, we got an apartment, and while that had its own issues, it was um, actually really bad for me because I wasn't doing those stairs every day. And so I actually lost some of my mobility because I wasn't getting that physical exercise. You know, and like people don't think like, oh, a flight of stairs is just a flight of stairs, it's not exercise, but for me it is. Um, And, but trying to find a place in New York that was accessible was interesting because I thought, oh, New York has all these organizations for little, literally everything. Mm. There's got to be a, a rental organization that specifically finds disabled people stuff that's accessible. Yeah. And there absolutely was not. You're kidding. Yeah. And while there is, um, like, affordable housing, you have to, you know, sign up. You can't be making more than a certain amount of money and, you know, all this other stuff. And at the time, because... I, you know, had a roommate, we were making over, you know, this much money, so we couldn't do that, so we just got a regular, you know, real estate person, and we said, okay, this is the basic stuff we need, you know, there has to be a ramp into the front of the building, and, you know, the, and the place itself has to be large enough to fit my wheelchair, basically, yeah. and uh, once he realized that, it was like, okay, then I can, I'll take these out and put these in, and we'll go look at those, you know, and eventually found something that worked for us. But a lot of the buildings in New York are sort of grandfathered in where they don't have to be accessible because they're so old, you know. And unless you're revitalizing the building over, like, I think it's something like $25,000, then you don't even have to bother putting in uh, a ramp or anything else. So um, it's just a matter of, you know, looking forever, basically. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And just crossing your fingers and hoping. Yeah. Yeah, but like, yeah, that's, yeah, so interesting. There is that thing of like getting caught between being poor but not poor enough. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, yeah, not, not poor enough for like um, maybe community housing, mm-hmm. like, like you were saying, like yeah. qualifying for that kind of program, but also not rich enough to actually buy a nice place. Yeah. Or rent a nice yeah. place. Yeah, yeah. And Who's New York buying? is so expensive Our, itself, yeah. Buy. I was going to say, like, <laughs> I, I would love to own a house, but I will never own a house in, I'm in Brooklyn, and uh, houses there go for, you know, six figures if not more, so um, yeah. I know that's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, nah. 
but like <laughs> renting in New York is also just as tough because the rents just keep going up and up and up because everyone wants to live there, you know? Yeah, well, it just sounds like a great place. <laughs> uh, I've got a friend who lives in Brooklyn. Shout out to Ashley. Hi, Ashley, I know you're listening. <laughs> you're the best. Hi, Ashley. I love you. Oh, Jill Pedrosi <laughs> says hi. She'll love that. She um, runs, like, I think, I don't want to say she runs if she does it in case that's wrong, <laughs> but she's very heavily involved with Geek Girls uh, oh, okay. in New York, so she'll, she'll be thrilled. But, um... Yeah, I've been wanting to visit her for a long time, but I, I keep coming up against this thing of like, first of all, I'm just too sick to travel, but also when I get there, am I going to be able to get around? Yeah. It's like, she's like, um, like, you know, just like, like machine and she, so she can do like the long train rides yeah, out yeah. from Brooklyn to, to Manhattan and like walk around everywhere and stuff. But for me, I'm like, I'll get like a, uh, I actually got an Uber here, even though my bus stops 200 meters down that way. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, oh, I'm going to have to walk 200 meters with equipment. With a bag, yeah. So I had to spend 12 bucks on an Uber. It's not that much. But still, everything's more expensive. The bus would have yeah. been like $4. So right. everything just gets more expensive. But I had heard these tales that New York was super accessible. <laughs> and now I'm like, I don't know what to believe. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. Like, there'll, there'll be some things that are great you know um but others like even just the subways you mentioned um before i lived there i traveled in with some friends one time to go somewhere and we said oh yeah we'll just we'll do the subway because there's access certain accessible stops we'll just look on the map and go there and we got to the one that was supposed to be accessible and the platform and the train there was a distance between yeah. them that was not you know, good uh, for me. And I was like, well, that's not accessible, actually. <laughs> no, so, I can't fly. Yeah, so yeah. I actually, I'm one of the people who has a car in New York and literally needs it, you know, to get yeah. place to place. Um, and I always see so many people on the roads. I'm like, why? There is so many subways and buses that you could be taking. Like, get off the road. I need to be here. You don't. <laughs> yes, it's like my friend Steph, who's a wheelchair user, said that people should, people who don't need disabled toilets should not use them. Yeah. Because um, she's like, that's the only one I can use. Mm -hmm. If yeah. I'm busting, like it's like you yeah. know. Yeah, I've had to wait outside plenty where I was like, oh, I really gotta go. <laughs> and then the person comes out and they're like, oh, I'm sorry. It's like, yeah. <laughs> How many times a day do you see people going, oh, yeah, like, <laughs> a lot, a lot. Oh, um, hey, we're running low on time. It's been so much fun. But like before, before we have to go, I just really, really wanted to talk about Game of Thrones. <laughs> I know that you've talked about this a lot, but yeah. um, I don't know if you know much about Game of, Australia's relationship with Game of Thrones. Um, but basically, because um, I don't know if they've changed it for this season, but because we weren't ever getting Game of Thrones at the same time as the rest of the world, right? Um, so we'd have to wait like months after the U.S. And of course, you know what it's like with spoilers yeah, for GOT. Yeah. Um, so we actually had the um, uh, dubious honor of being the, the the country that pirated GOT. Oh the most yeah, yeah. In the okay, world. I think I remember that. Yeah. Like almost everyone in Australia was torrenting uh, every episode, um, and um, almost no one like could watch it because we all would have paid to watch it. Anyway, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Different Whole conversation. Beef. <laughs> beef. Uh, I got beef about that, but um, while you're editor in chief of the Mary Sue. Uh, you guys made the decision to stop promoting GOT unless you were going to talk about, like, uh, have conversations like about uh, interesting criticisms of it. But basically, you just stopped covering it. Yeah. Um, and uh, the kind of, I guess, like, the final straw was um, Sansa's rape on the mm -hmm. show. So I guess trigger warning, maybe, like, we'll talk about this for maybe, like, five minutes. So maybe come back after five minutes if you don't want to hear 
conversation about, about rape and depictions of sexual assault. Um, but why was that the final straw? Because DOT had had, had right. so many depictions of rape and graphic violence. Yeah, the, the, the thing that, so I'm a book reader of Game of Thrones and I started that after season one. So I sort of started getting into it and realized, you know, how much a part of that was the world, you know. Um, and so it's not that I didn't expect certain things to happen, um, but I, I always liken it to um, being in a relationship, you know, because you invest your time and your energy into the show, and if you're, like, a fan fan, you're really, you know, invested in it. Um, and when you're in a relationship with someone, if they do something that kind of bugs you, you know, you don't break up with them after the first instance, you know? Yeah. And so you say, okay, well, that, that doesn't, that rubs me the wrong way, but, I, you know, I like them a lot for all this other stuff, so like, I'm going to stick with it, you know? You talk about Daredevil a lot, but I still love you. <laughs> uh, that's, that's not from my life experience. <laughs> but, yeah, and that, it's, that's the sort of thing, and it was like, after the situation in the previous season with Cersei and Jamie, um, that in, in the books was read by most people as a consensual, you know, uh, intercourse, it was played as rape mm. on, on the show, and that struck a whole conversation that I felt like the creators could have listened to and taken some feedback. And obviously, creators, are they want to create. They don't really want to listen to the feedback and change how they're going to do things based on what the audience is saying, you know. But yeah. it was, to me, a very important conversation about consent and, and what we're putting on TV. And if you're going to make it rape, at least be clear about that and, like, Nobody yeah. could even decide if that's what that situation was, and it was so awful to hear them for something that should have been taken very seriously yeah. that nobody even knew what they were filming, you know? Yeah. Um, even um, the, act, the wonderful actress who plays Cersei yeah. wasn't sure. Yeah. She, like, um, I, I was really disturbed by the arguments that... Um, it started out as rape but became consensual. Right, right. It's like rape still happened. Yeah. Um... And was, I, I think that's what some of the creators were sort of tilting at. And I was yeah. like, ah. Yeah. And, and I think that's why, like, we had such a deep conversation about it. And I thought, I think it's good to put this out there so people know going forward. And then, you know, <laughs> the next season they were like, oh, we're going to, you know, push together some storylines from the books. And I was like, please don't do that. Please don't. Please don't do that, you know. And then they went. They went there with, with Sansa, which it would have been a different character that they haven't brought in um, from the books. Um, and it was it was a very bad scene to read in the books. And I know a lot of the times when I'm reading and that kind of stuff comes up, I sort of quickly some you know go over it, you know. Um, and that was that was very bad. And to see them say, "Look, we have a, a decision to make here, and we're going to decide." to do that to this character, you know? And it wasn't that it was just her or whatever, but, like, they could have left it out completely, but they, for some reason, felt like that was a very important part that needed to be put in, you know? Yeah. Um, and I felt like it had retreaded some some um, territory that Sansa had already gone through in her character arc, and yeah. so it didn't tell us anything new about anyone, and I felt like it didn't have a very important part in the story that they felt it did, you know? And... You know, it was the it was the kind of thing where I sat there and I watched it and I, I, I couldn't believe that like. I was hoping against hope that it wouldn't happen and that it wouldn't play out that way and that something different would happen that would just you know, put put the power in her hands you know or something, and uh, and it didn't and so 
I kind of sat there and I, I messaged actually um, one of our other editors at the time and I was like, I don't want to watch anymore. Yeah. And I just kind of feel like we shouldn't even write about it. Like I'm just so upset and I know other people had been very upset previously and even after the Cersei thing happened, they were like, I don't understand why you guys keep watching this show, you know? And it was yeah. like, you know, and it... And but it's it, like you say, you just like, you're like, well, we'll give you another chance, yeah, we'll keep yeah. trying. Yeah. And so, you know, and it was, it was the kind of thing that I... I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And I asked everybody the next day when I got in, I said, is everybody okay with this? And everyone said, yeah, you know, we're totally good with this. Didn't even ask my boss at the time, which I didn't <laughs> even think about. Um, and I did it, and then it completely blew up, you know? Like, we yeah. were one of the main critics of what had happened, and, and I, like... I couldn't believe like I was going on CNN and MSNBC that week yeah. to talk about it, you know, and, and it was such a surreal thing that this, you know, we're, we're, the Mary Sue was still sort of little in the scheme of, you know, the internet and the fact that something that we did just as a personal thing for us, you know, we weren't saying we wanted people to boycott it. It was like, we personally can't do it anymore. You know, yeah. that was just it for us. And the fact that so many people were like, that thought that was a big deal, that we made a personal choice, whereas previously people said, well, if you don't like it, stop watching. And then we did that, yeah. and then they were mad that we did that. So it oh, was, it was yeah. very strange. I mean, that's the internet for you, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, and it's interesting now that the next season is sort of ramping up, and uh, not, it's sort of that sort of thing that once you do make the break with someone, and then you don't have those rose-colored lenses anymore and you you see people other people getting excited and it's just not there for you anymore yes and yeah. as a fan who was so into it it's really kind of upsetting that like it got to the point where I just couldn't enjoy it anymore you know yeah. and it's it sounds silly to some people that you know you're so invested in, in a fictional thing and then you get this upset over it and you know you say I can't watch anymore and people think it's, it's over dramatic you know but oops um it's just that that Fandom is, is my life, and nerd stuff is my life. And so when something that big happens, it is sort of traumatic, you know? And you just kind of say, oh, I really wish that they had made a different choice so I could still be watching, you know? And yeah. uh, it's going to be really weird to not watch the season, you know? Yeah, I, I stopped watching after the um, Jamie and Cersei episode for a couple of reasons. Um, there was that, which was disturbing enough. Um, but a lot of people would would have overlooked a moment later in the episode where you see like a happy farming family with like sheep and stuff and there's like little kids running around and then they get um like you, you're set up you're like set, you're like they're cute they're this adorable loving family right. and you're invested and then like immediately they get graphically killed by wildlings right and um i just thought I, that's when i realized like that and i was still recovering from like the rape scene and i was like oh this show is sadistic it's like it's yeah. it wants to hurt me yeah and it's like that thing with a relationship where like after the um first episode where um uh the khaleesi is raped by um drogo drogo yeah cal drogo cal cal drogo yeah. it's been a while so i'm like <laughs> stumbling over the names um, you know, and that was that was bad enough. But yeah, that I, I was like, I'm going to give this show another chance. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff I like here. Yeah. And then when they um, murdered that little family with the little sheep and stuff, <laughs> and like were like eating them and stuff, and yeah, then, like yeah. like in front of the son who they left right, alive yeah. to torture, I was like, oh no! Like um, this the show is not just showing me people hurting each other. The show is trying to hurt me. Right. Like through the way they portray it, and I was just like, I'm done. Yeah. Um, but um, 
it's a shame because I really did love it. Yeah, um, and it's you know it's it's to me there's no judgment on other people who continue watching who love it, you know because like I mean violence and sex is so ingrained in everything we have as far as entertainment goes, you know, and it's it's not a a moral judgment. It's nothing. It's for me personally, you know. Yeah. That's what I always say. It's like it was enough for me. If it's making me that uncomfortable, I should stop. You yeah. Know? And so it's. You know, there's plenty of people who think they're somehow, you know, better than me because they're fine with it, you know? And it's like, well, <laughs> that's good. That's good you. for you. Like, I'm yeah. I'm glad that you can take the enjoyment out of it. I personally can't anymore, you know? Yeah. And I love the idea of an entire editorial team practicing self-care. Yeah. Or other TV shows. Yeah. You know, I mean, the the thing that I miss the most about the Mary Sue is, is the community that we had there because um, everyone sort of got to know each other in the comments you know we never had a forum and so it was just in the comment section and being in there every day in the trenches having to moderate when trolls or what have you would come on you know led me to see a lot of the conversations that were going on with people and it was amazing to see them find people that were like them you know yeah. and and people that they never would have found otherwise and you know I think that's what's great about the community is that they understood the decision that we made, you know, and I think elsewhere we wouldn't have even gotten away with that, you know, or like would have taken a traffic hit so bad that we wouldn't have, you know, recovered, but everyone still went there because they loved the content, they loved the community, um, and so that's why when I, you know, I hadn't told my boss about it, and afterwards he was just like, no, this is great, this is exactly the kind of choices you should be making as an editor because that is your community and you know your community, so. That's really cool. Yeah. I love the idea. yeah I love that about the Mary Sue that like I love that you guys have a um, uh, like a lovely comment section yeah like don't don't you have the reputation of having one of the best comment sections yeah in yeah like, I, I I you know I, sorry, I feel I'm bad for, you, I know I'm no sorry. believe me it took me so long to sort of break myself out of the habit of saying we and our you know because <laughs> I still I I love everyone there still we're still you know great friends and everything um, so it was sort of it was very very hard leaving. Um, but yeah, I, I can't speak to you know what they're doing these days. But I know that we worked very hard to to moderate the comment section so that it was okay for everybody else, even to the detriment of our mental health. You know, because it was hard having to see all that stuff really bad come in, especially on the Thrones article. Like, oh. I can't even tell you. It was like upwards of three thousand comments, and they were just be coming in and the worst dregs of the internet who never came to our site before, coming just to call us nasty names and all this other stuff. And yeah. you know. It was it was very difficult, but I was proud to do it because it made it a safe place for everybody else to express, you know, their fears, their joys, and everything else between. So that's really cool. And actually, um, you're here for Contact 2016. Um, you're not with the Mary Sue anymore, right? What's next for Jill Fantosi? <laughs> so I relaunched my own site, which was thenerdybird.com, mm. which I had launched in 2008. Um, sort of when I was I was in radio at the time and I wanted to get back into writing so I said well I love geek stuff so I'll make a geek blog you know and that was like in the blogger days and um, heady days yeah uh, and it was it was great and then obviously once I started the Mary Sue I couldn't put any time into it so I stopped 
um, updating it. So got it redesigned now, and um, I launched a Patreon for it. Um, we have no, you know, no ads, of course, on the site, and so I'm hoping that is at least part incentive, you know, to give to the Patreon. Um, yeah, it's pretty great. But, yeah, <laughs> but after the trip uh, and when I get back home and settled, I'm going to try and start some more video um, content on the site for patrons, maybe first, you know, to get the the experience first. Um, and yeah, I'm hoping that that will become successful enough that I can start hiring other people to contribute because. It's great having just my voice on there, but I would love to have more, you know, diverse opinions on there about all sorts of geek stuff. Um, so that's where I'm hoping it'll go soon. So we'll see. It's really cool. <laughs> is is um, geek geek stuff and the media? Is that like um, is that what you see for your future? Like all, all the way the rest of it? Yeah, this, you know, this is your niche. It's interesting. I I started the last year or so trying to branch out into more general entertainment, but I feel like there's so much these days that isn't something we would necessarily consider geek like something like Hannibal mm. it's not geeky per se mm. but it has a very geeky crowd and a, and a very yeah. heavy you know fandom to it very yeah. heavy fandom <laughs> um, so yeah so I feel like branching out a bit and, and also like the nostalgia factor of course with all the reboots and stuff that we're getting these days in the movies um, it's it it is geek and it's a little niche, but it also can be very universal for a lot of people. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of where I where I see it going. I would love to do a TV show that that is that sort of thing, like a, a news, you know, geeky news kind of thing. And I know that things are starting to pop up here and there, like AMC is doing one with Kevin Smith, and there's oh. apparently going to be people who are sort of correspondents, you know, and uh, like I don't know, show, yeah. Not for politics? Um, cool. So that's really cool, and I know that Comic-Con just did a deal with Lionsgate to do a sort of video-on-demand thing, and they're going to have shows, and then they'll also do some panels, stuff from Comic-Con itself. Oh, cool. Um, so we'll see. I'm, I'm talking to people, and maybe, you know, down the road it'll happen, but that would be my, my, my top thing, doing the nerdy news and letting people, you know, know what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, what, like, I'm curious, like, how you define geek for yourself, because I know that I've read, like, things that's like, nerd means that you're really intellectual, but right, geek yeah. means that you care passionately about right. stuff. <laughs> Do you see any kind of divide? I, I personally don't. Like, I think when I was younger, I sort of had that idea that nerd was more school yeah. nerdy, you know, that kind of thing, and uh, and then you got dork also, and, and all this other stuff. Squid. Okay, yeah. I was a squid. Um, but I think as I've gotten older, I sort of use them interchangeably. Um, mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people still sort of say, "Well, I only want to be known as a geek, you know, <laughs> and not a nerd, you know." Um, but yeah, I sort of, I sort of just define it as as my own thing, whatever I like and what I'm, quote unquote, geeking out about, you know, is mm-hmm. is is what's for me. So that may be something, like I said, about you know, like Hannibal or something else that's just not necessarily in the general geekdom um, but that I just love so passionately that I can't help but be a nerd over, you know. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, I, I have my working J panel today. Yep, um, I noticed. <laughs> I, I'm just obsessed with the Hunger Games and I, I wonder what it is about like um, YA fiction and like sort of superheroes and fantasy that lends itself to geeking out Mm -hmm. um is it something about like a nostalgia for childhood or but like you say hannibal you can also be geeky about hannibal and let's face it hopefully not a lot of children are watching right (laughs) Um, 
I, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I, I, sometimes I'm like, can you geek out about a football team? Is that geeking out? Yeah. Or is that like, is that kind of like, no, we don't want the jocks to get in our territory. Right. I don't know. I mean, I think there are some people who definitely think that, but I, I have also spread my definition of that. Like, there are definitely sports geeks who are just, they're into the statistics of it. They're, you know, they're buying merch all the time, oh, you know, yeah. just like we do with all kinds of stuff. Um, yes, I noticed you have a puppy cat yeah. t-shirt on, which I have been admiring the whole time. <laughs> Thank you. Puppy cat is the cutest shirt. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think all that stuff sort of lends itself to escapism, you know, and, and uh, yeah. fantasizing about what, you know would be if you had superpowers, you know, or um, what happens when the apocalypse comes? Are we going to turn into, you know, Mad Max? Are we going to turn into Hunger Games? Are we going to do, you know, there's like all these different ways we can go. Um, so I think, you know, people just love getting away from it, it all, thinking about dragons and, you know, I mean, I know that, you know, till I was much older probably than I should have been, I was still hoping that I would wake up one day with powers, you know, like, oh, is it going to happen on my 16th birthday? No, maybe it's my 18th birthday, you know? I'm still waiting. Yeah. Every morning I'm like, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I try and, like, um, move my glass of water with my mind. I'm like, I don't want to get up. Come on. Yeah. Just Matilda-style powers. It's going to happen one day. Yeah. Um, well, I think, like, on that, like, we are, we are here for Contact 2016, which is a science fiction fantasy uh, convention here in Brisbane, which is really exciting. Um, so we've got the NatCon for Australia this year. Um, but I guess on that, like, I have had a previous guest tell me what, she, and she writes a web superhero serial, and she told me what she would do in the event of a zombie apocalypse. So I think I should make this a recurring question. <laughs> okay. So what what would you do? So like, we're talking like Walking Dead, yeah. not not so much like the fast zombies, right. the slow ones. What would you do? Right. Well, I have thought about this in detail. Of course, we all have. <laughs> it's going to happen. I have definitely stayed up at night thinking about that. Um, so strange to think that that is a thing. But um, <laughs> I, I, I really love swords, and so I own a katana, and it sits next to my bed just in case anybody ever breaks in. Right. Um, and so I would definitely strap that on my back. Yep. Um, and then I would gather up all the cat food that we have in my apartment because I have two cats. Ah. And I would put it on my wheelchair first and then sit on the cat food so that I could have them in their carriers and have plenty of food for them to survive and then go <laughs> off. Yeah. So you really like your first, I mean, your first priority is the katana, but yeah. the second very close behind that is survival of cats. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, I do not want them eaten, and I want to make sure they don't starve, so they're going to be well taken care of. Okay. Well, do you think, do you foresee that it would be like an I Am Legend situation where animals can become zombies, or? Hmm. I would hope not. Yeah. That would be really bad. Fair, like I'm it? I'm a huge animal lover and it would probably upset me more to kill an animal. <laughs> like that would be horrible for me. Like well, they kinda of don't deserve it. That's I what know. I always think. It's yeah. like we've done a lot to, to mess up the world. Right. But cats are just being amazing. <laughs> um, but that's something like I think like the zombie virus idea is meant to be like some kind of metaphor about um, right. um, humanity's downfall punishment for something hubris yeah. just just throw the word hubris yeah. in there and, uh, and I just don't see that for like dogs and cats I'm like they they didn't they didn't invent like they aren't like experimenting in labs yeah they, don't they are ruining this. the environment they, yeah. yeah so okay so so you would um load up on cat food yep. and just wheel into the sunset just yeah. get the fuck out of yeah. there <laughs> well um do you 
you think you would uh, have like a, do you, wait, sorry, I just realized what I was about to ask. I was like, <laughs> do you have a safe place in mind? But then I realized maybe you don't want to tell me. <laughs> That's, okay. That's a good point. That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I live right now on a, the fifth floor of an apartment building, and I had thought that through, like, okay, if I barricade myself in there, mm. how long before, like, I have an issue with, like, the toilet or yeah, water and yeah. yeah you know so like you really can't stay in some place like that so you got to go someplace else that's more secure and yeah yeah cool well that's one of the reasons <laughs> i like living on a house uh, in a house with stills yeah that's like, a good point i'm just gonna have to learn the crossbow now jill pandosi it's been such a pleasure thank you so much thank you i hear stacy went out with him what is she crazy there she is She's walking kind of funny. Let's ask her. Hey, hey Stacy, what's, what's new? Met a boy so sweet. He took me out last week for a movie and a dinner. Then we parked on a dead end street. He said, I've got a present for you. I thought my dreams Brand new dress, perfume I bet. Well, can't you guess? Oh, 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 Harry Bird. What could I say? Thank you, Jill Pantosi, for being on Just a Spoonful. And if you would like to see Jill this weekend, this Easter long weekend, she will be appearing at uh, Contact 2016, the uh, Australian National Speculative Fiction Convention, which I think is going to be like a super lot of nerdy fun. Uh, And it is at being held at Hotel Gen next to the Roma Street train station in the city. And Jill will be appearing in conversation with Maria Lewis at the Contact Banquet on Saturday night, Saturday 26th of March. Um, Maria Lewis is, of course, the uh, an entertainment reporter, and you might know her from the feed SBS. Uh, she is also the author of the the new release Who's Afraid, which is about uh, I'm told about feminist werewolves, and I can't wait to read it, you guys. Um, so that's going to be a really great conversation, um, and I will put d- details and links on our website, J A uh, our website, justaspoonfulpodcast.com. It's important to know the URL of your uh, own website. And also you can, I'll put details up on our Twitter, which is JAS podcast. Um, please follow and like, and write me messages. Let me know what you think. Um, and thank you everyone for listening. And thank you, especially to my patrons, um, Patreon keeps this website going. I would especially like to website. I said website again, podcast. It's a podcast, Caitlin. I would especially like to thank, um, before my brain completely caves in on itself, I would like to thank my patrons, especially Chris Woods, despite his torture of me, uh, Alan Varwork, Kristen Bushnell, Katie Rowney, Tegan, James Colley, Heidi, Jessica Alice, Jim Reynolds, Talia, Sophie Benjamin, Lauren Pico, Leifa Singleton Norton, David Riding, 
Jane Howard, Kara Eva Schlegel, which is not Evil Schlegel, which is how I've accidentally said it before, uh, Scott Mercer, Josh Dinellen, Ashley Warren, who got a shout out this this uh, episode, woo, uh, Kate Rohde, David James Young, Catherine, and Alexandra Neal. Thank you all so much for your support. And if you would like to become a patron of the podcast and help young people with disabilities and chronic illnesses get paid, then you can go to patreon.com forward slash JS podcast. And I will put more information about that on our website, which is justaspoonfulpodcast.com. Nailed it. I'm so tired and I'm going to go lie down now um, and keep reading The Red Queen by Isabel Carmody because that's my life at the moment and I think I've got to the point where I think that I have telepathic powers. If you haven't read the Over Newton Chronicles then you're um then you're wasting your life. I don't know what to tell you you should read it. Um yeah um I hope you find a little bit of spoonful of something to get you through the day and I think for me today it's gonna be the Over Newton Chronicles. Um and I will see you all next month for another episode of Just a Spoonful. Hmm. Yeah, that's what this show is. Mm, it's not. It's not a website. We have a website, but it's not a website. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Uh.